Hey, good morning as well. Glad we can gather here as fellow believers in Jesus Christ and seekers as well. So if you are here and you're not a believer in Christ, I'm glad that you are here. I pray that you get some of your questions even answered in our time today. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke is the first volume that Luke wrote. Volume two is the book of Acts. So turn to Luke chapter 12. This morning, as you turn there, we're going to talk about money. Can you look at the person next to you and say, aren't you glad you came? (laughs) There is some baggage when it comes to talking about money in church. Maybe you've experienced this personally. Maybe you've even felt it on behalf of others. Let me give you a few disclaimers in our talk here today. Disclaimer number one. At the end of my 20 or so minutes that I talk, we are not going to give you an emotional plea that if you don't give to Calvary Church, the lights are going to go off tomorrow, okay? So just understand it. Take a deep breath right now. We are not going to give you some emotional plea that you have to give today. We will have a chance later in our service to respond through giving, through offering, through communion, through the stations. So we're not missing that. But I also want you to know this is not some emotional plea that we're trying to set up today. Number two, I acknowledge that we as leaders of Calvary Church can either unintentionally or maybe even intentionally, because we're people, communicate to you that we want you for your money and not just for who you are. If you've ever felt that at Calvary Church, I just want to say we apologize. That is not the intention. A couple years ago, I was at a, a coffee shop in the Orange Circle, and I was reading my Bible And a guy I didn't know walked up to me and he's like, hey, what are you reading? And so I shared with him what I was reading. And I I love like in public interacting with people when it comes to spiritual things. And so he began telling me a little bit of his story. And he goes, yeah, I go to this church and they're just always asking for my money. You know, we want this, we want that, we're doing this, we're doing that. Like money, 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 money. It's all all we do. Uh, What do you do for a living? And I was like, "Uh, I'm... I'm a pastor at, at Saddleback. I'm a pastor at... <laughs> but I just acknowledged to him at the coffee shop, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel that. And so if you personally feel that, either here or anywhere that you've been uh, in a Christian body of believers, I just apologize for that. That's not the intention here. The intention is that we would help you with money. It would be for your benefit. It wouldn't be just to take something from you. Because we believe that there is great blessings in your money and in being generous with your money. Over 2,000 scriptures in the Old and the New Testament talk about how to deal with money from a biblical perspective. And so this is key to God's heart. And so we should talk about it as well. And so with that in mind, could you just pray with me? Let's ask the Spirit to move. So pray. Father, I pray that you would be in the giving of this message and the receiving of this message. Lord, for those that have baggage when it comes to money and Christianity, I pray, God, that you would supernaturally heal today. For those that are being called specifically by you to be generous in some way with money, 
I pray, God, that we would be people who would be obedient to that. And God, if there's some message that you have for us today that has nothing to do with my planned topic, just work, speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 12 is where we're at. Go about halfway down to verse 13. This is what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? This is Jesus talking. And then he said to him, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for, your, for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20 says, But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you'll eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you'll eat and what you'll drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nation of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no no moth destroys. Verse 34, close with this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that good? I feel like this should be a passage that I just get up and by default I have it like on my iPad or iPod or it just plays for me. Like the first 30 seconds I'm up, I just need to hear this passage day by day. There's so many great truths in here. A perspective that we need as we reset ourselves each day as we follow Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about money here today and in, in this thought, these are Jesus' words, this is his heart. And as you think through that, This is probably a common image that would come to your mind when you think of money. The average dollar bill lasts 5.9 years before it goes out of circulation. How rad that God's word, as it says, lasts forever. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so a dollar lasts five and a half years. God's word is eternal. Doesn't that give you such confidence as we look into this today? A couple other facts about dollar bills, though, while you're asking. (laughs) Is a dollar bill costs about four cents to make. And so every dollar bill, which is about 16 million are made Monday through Friday by our U.S. government. So 16 million $1 bills every day, and they cost about four cents to make. Let me go back to that picture. Uh, Dollar bills aren't actually made of paper. They're made of linen and cotton. In 1957, the dollar bill began saying, not on the front side, but the back side, in God we trust. So maybe contrary to public opinion, it's not always been on our dollar bill, but since 1957, those words have been inscribed on all of our money, not just a dollar bill. On July 1st, 2014, just last month, the minimum wage here in Orange County went to nine of these an hour. In 2016, it's going to go up to 10 of these an hour. Here in Orange County, you have to make, though, 25 of these an hour in your job in order to afford a one-bedroom apartment. I don't have to remind you of that. You know this. This is an expensive place to live. Two billion people in the world live on less than one of these a day. Isn't that crazy? Two billion people in this world live on less than one dollar a day. Contrast that with Angel's first baseman, Albert Pujols, who makes 37,000 of these every time he steps up to bat. Teach your kids how to hit a curveball. <laughs> A dollar bill weighs about an ounce, or actually about less than an ounce. But how much does a dollar bill really weigh in our lives as it sits in our wallet right now? How much does our money weigh us down? I can't think of anything else that causes more worry, anxiety, temptation, fear than our money. What's God's heart for it? What does God have to say about our money? Luke 12. We're to use our money and to consider it a window into our hearts. Much like a doctor would look into the physical heart and he would run tests. First he would start with a blood test and then perhaps move to a stress test. And if he was really concerned, then he'd put those sticky things on you and do an EKG. And if he really was worried about the condition of your heart, a doctor would then give you an angiogram. Well, in the same way, Jesus tells us there's a way to look into our hearts, our spiritual hearts, the condition of our hearts, to tell where we're really at with God. And that is to look at our money. Verse 34 here of Luke 12 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our hearts? If we were to pull our bank accounts, our credit card statements for the month of July, so far in August... Where would it show that our heart is? What's the condition of our heart? Are we generous people? Are we investing in things that last for eternity? What are we spending our money on right now and how does that reflect our hearts? In Luke 12, 18, this rich landowner says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and and all my goods. And you get a sense of his heart. And we have this romanticized version of 
red barn living here in Orange County. I mean, how many of us have ever said like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome just to move away from California and buy a ranch and own a tractor and drink sweet tea in front of our red barn? I mean, how many of you are like, yes, that would be the life right there? And yet, if you've ever been in an actual working barn, you know that when you walk into a barn, it's a mixture of smells of, of hay and, and animal poop. There's spider webs and the rafters and bird nests to worry about. Most places where you can afford a red barn, the weather is so extreme in the wintertime that you're constantly worrying about its upkeep and, and taking care of it and, and repainting it. Owning a red barn is stressful in reality. And here's this guy in Luke 12. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the purpose of my life to put a bunch of stuff in a red barn. And look at Jesus' response. He says in verse 20 here in Luke 12, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? Verse 21, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here in talking to this man and talking to the disciples through it. Our use of money is a window into our heart. It is foolish, Jesus is saying, to invest our money into things that don't last. For example, say you leave Calvary today, you get in your car with your spouse or your friend, and you do a road trip up to Sacramento. About halfway up, you decide to stop in Fresno and stay at a beautiful, lovely Best Western. And you're there only for a few hours. You go there tonight, you check in, you watch some TV, and then you decide to go to bed. And then at 3 a.m., you hear this. Hey, hey, are you awake? Hey, are you awake? And it's your spouse or your friend. And I always love that question because you're like, well, yeah, I, I am now. <laughs> and uh, hey, um, this mattress is, is driving me crazy. And, and this bedspread is like awful. Like there's a 24-hour Walmart down the street. Let's just go get a new mattress and, and a bedspread right now. And you're like, wait, what? Like we're, we're staying at this Best Western till 7 a.m. tomorrow. Like, we're checking out in the morning. Like, surely, why would we do that? Well, you know what? That's a good point. We should also get new carpet because this carpet does not match with everything that's going on here. You're like, you're crazy. What are you thinking? Like, why would we invest in this place? We're not going to be here long at all. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, why would you invest in a red barn? Something that's here today and gone tomorrow when you have the opportunity with your money to invest in something that will last. Now, hear me on this, though. It doesn't, I don't think Jesus is saying here, well, just hibernate and isolate yourself until you get to heaven. You know, just withdraw from this world and this culture because this world's temporary and, and your home's in heaven. No, God calls us in the scriptures and the gospels to be salt and light to our world, to be on mission, to share the glorious good news of Jesus with those that we work with and live with and come in contact with. We have a purpose in this world. And yet, we are to have one eye on this world and one eye in our mind on eternity. Particularly when it comes to our money. Are we using our money for things that are gone tomorrow? We'll be in Fresno tonight and Sacramento tomorrow. Or are we investing in things that are eternal. This is Jesus' heart. 
Okay, go from Luke 12. Now flip over a couple chapters to Luke 18. Go to Luke 18, 18. I want to read you another interaction with Jesus here. Beginning in Luke 18, 18, this is what it says. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he'd heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? And then verse 27 here in Luke 18 says, But he said, Jesus The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Just a little side teaching here. Isn't that a great verse right there? The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. We know and relate and have a connection to a God that does the impossible. Isn't that great to know? He's bigger than us. But as you look at this interaction between Jesus and this man, you see God cannot share his service. You either serve him or you serve your money. This rich young ruler, on the external, looked pretty good. He was doing well financially. He was able boldly in public to say, I followed all the commandments, which was completely not true. But at least he felt good enough about his external life that he could say that publicly and, and not have someone raise their hand and say no. And so he's, he's living this life that looks pretty good. But Jesus, looking into his heart, knows what's going on. He knows the condition of his heart. And he says, you have a master already, and your master is your money. And until you surrender that master and make me your Lord, then we can't move forward in this relationship. Look at verse 23. This is the saddest, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This man walks away from Jesus. There's a painting that was done by a 19th century German artist. It hangs now in a church in Manhattan, New York. And I like how he depicted this interaction between Jesus and this man. The man looks defiant. He looks sullen. He's turning away from Jesus. Jesus had said these words, come, follow me. It's the same words that he issued to Peter and Andrew and the disciples. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He issues this same call to this rich young ruler. And this guy says, I already have a master and I can't give him up. And he walks away from Jesus. I said that our hope here at Calvary is that we want something for you when it comes to money, not just something from you. Think about this guy's life if he had said yes to Jesus in this moment. 
Because as you keep reading the Gospel of Luke, you see some incredible things happen around Jesus and his disciples. Just a few chapters later, you see that Jesus has the triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem with his disciples. This guy could have been part of that. You see Jesus breaking bread with the disciples in the upper room, sharing with him his instructions and encouragement. This guy potentially could have been with them if he had said yes to Jesus in this moment. You see Jesus appearing to the disciples after the resurrection. This guy could have seen the resurrected Jesus if he had said yes to him early in his life. Or you see in the book of Acts, later as Luke talks about, that the disciples are sent on mission. This guy could have been one of those guys sent on mission to change the world, the effects that we're still feeling here today. And yet this guy missed out on all of those blessings because his master was his money not God. It's sad. It's a tragic story of this guy's life. Now you go contrast that to Luke 19. Go over to the next chapter, Luke 19.1. And you read this in 1, verse 1 of Luke 19. He entered Jericho, this is Jesus, and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. And in verse 10, I love this verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Isn't that great? So you have the rich young ruler on one hand. Jesus says, come follow me. And he can't do it and he sadly walks away. Now you have Zacchaeus kind of in the same situation. He was a rich guy. He had earned his money in unjust and in unfair ways. Taking advantage of his own people, fellow Jews. He was not a popular guy in his area. As you can see in verse 7, those that saw him interact with Jesus grumbled. They said, this man's such a sinner. How could he even interact with Jesus? Or does Jesus even know who he's talking to right now? Often the focus of Zacchaeus' story is how he's short and he climbs up in this tree. And as Matt Davis talked about a few weeks ago, that he's particularized in this situation, that Jesus notices him. And that is a great part of this story. But I also want us to see here that Zacchaeus responds to the generosity of Jesus by being generous himself. Look at verse 8 again. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. In first century Jewish culture, if you were found to take money from someone unjustly, you were called to give all the money back 
and give a 20% restitution fee. And so that was the law. Here, Zacchaeus, moved by the generosity of God, gives 400% back to those that he took from. 400% as he's moved by this interaction with Jesus. He sees the grace, the generosity that Jesus has towards him, and he responds accordingly. And this is our God. Our God is a generous God. One of the famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Earlier this spring, we went over Romans 8. It says, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely, what? Give us all things. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy that God is the giver of life. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And going back, 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Our God lavishly, generously interacts with us. It's incredible. This is the God that we can know. This is the God that we gather in this place to worship here today. So our response is to simply give generously back to Him. For things that are kingdom eternal and not just things that are temporal. What are some tangible ways we can do that even here today? Well, I promise we're not going to give you this hard emotional appeal right now. But what I want to do is begin to have you think, along with the Holy Spirit, of what God's calling you to. The first is this. Before you can even be moved to be generous, you have to accept the generosity of our Lord. Jesus came into this world and he lived the life that none of us could live. He went to the cross not for anything that he had done, but for we had done. You see the rich young ruler in Luke 18 proudly and boldly says, I've kept all the commandments, but he couldn't. And neither could any of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of God. And his holiness. And Jesus on the cross takes on the penalty for our falling short. And then the Bible says on the third day, he rises again, defeating death, conquering sin. And so that anyone that places their faith in him as master and savior is cleansed once and for all from sin. Just like Zacchaeus was. And so today could be the day that you enter in to having your sins forgiven once and for all. And there's a booklet in the seat in front of you if you want to even pull that out and read through it as a way to even help explain this further. But today, let today be the day that you respond to the generosity of Jesus. Another response could be to join a life group. You see, we need other people in this journey of the Christian life in order to remind us that, yes, God is faithful. He is generous to us. And God is faithful to us when we step out in generosity with our money. We need to hear each other's stories. We need to share our stories in community. Maybe today a step for you is to 
sign up for a life group in the lobby after our service. And we have classes coming up as well. This fall, we're offering a whole series of classes. If you have your sermon notes, you can pull those out. If you don't already have them, look at them now. Flip to the back side of those notes. And there's just a basic listing of some classes that we're offering when it comes to dealing with money in the Christian life. Our prayer is that these would help you and before you as you walk in this journey with Jesus. And then also on the back side of your notes, there's this idea of a generosity commitment. And just look at it with me, if you will. Just listed some areas that perhaps God is leading you to be generous in. If you look halfway down the Digging Deeper notes, it says, what if this Christmas season, when people are like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Well, give me your list. What if you had a reverse list? What if in your mind you'd created a list this fall? of ways that not you wanted to get, but you wanted to give. When it came to your money under treasure, what if you wrote down a number of, God, this is my prayer of how much I want to give away this year, the rest of the year. That's between you and the Spirit moving you. And I would even actually ask you not to fill any of this out today. Put it in your pocket, put it in your Bible, and later on this week, just have some time with God. Or what are three items that you own currently that you could generously give away? And I'm not even just talking about stuff in your garage that's collecting dust. Like, oh yeah, I can give away my junior high golf clubs now that I'm 50. <laughs> like, what would it look like to give away something that you love, but in order to bless somebody else? Or under time, amount of hours I want to serve others this fall. And I don't know, I'm not good at math and hours, like 130. Like, <laughs> but maybe it's just even starting. Like, I want to give one hour a week. And then under talent, is there an ability or skill that I could teach someone or bless someone with this fall? And is there a specific person I could do this with? So I encourage you just to take this and prayerfully just talk with the Lord about it. Where would he lead you? As a response to his generosity, how can you be a generous follower of him? Now I know when it comes to this whole idea, <clears throat> there's just a sense in my life at least, like, ah, I want to be generous. I want to do more. But like, I'm never going to have my name on Chalk Hospital. It's like, Doan Memorial Hospital, because I've gave $5.8 million to this hospital. But, you know, I, that's not going to be me and probably won't be you. And so it's kind of like this sense of angst when it comes to talking about generosity. Like, ah, I want to give more, but I already feel stretched thin in my finances and and in my time, and, and even in my giftings, like, I'm already being pulled in so many directions. And so you hear a message like this, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, number one, we rest in God's grace. God is graceful, and we just embrace that. It's not about doing more and doing better. It's simply resting in His generosity. But then out of that, maybe it's just going, God, open my eyes, give me creativity, to see things that I can be generous in that I already have, that are already coming to me that I just don't even see. An example of that came to me in this idea of this rice bucket challenge. You've heard of the ice bucket challenge? How many of you have done the ice bucket challenge? Okay, one of us. You guys, really, this is... <laughs> the ice bucket challenge, the idea that you dump a bucket of ice on you, you film it, 
and you give a donation to the ALS Association, and then you challenge others to do the same. In this last month, $42 million has been raised for ALS. Compared to what they normally receive in the summer, is about $4 million. It's crazy. But I came across this rice bucket challenge. There's these group of women in India who make less than a dollar a day. And over the last like 70 years, God's given them this creativity and this vision to be generous with what they have. Check it out. Watch the screens. Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Thang, or a handful of rice. Bufai Thang is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The Handful of Rice Ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bufaitam is meant for supporting those Bible women. Today, 95% of 900,000 Mizos are Christians. A strong and vibrant church has emerged. People started to give more and in creative ways. Rice, vegetables, firewood and other produce and also cash besides their regular tithes to the church. The churches in Mizoram are now self-sufficient. We don't receive any outside funding. All the money we have, we receive, is raised within ourselves. At the close of this last physical year, we receive altogether around 13 million US dollars. Out of that, 12% of our total income is from the handful of rice collection. Today, 
the Mizoram Church is known as a missionary church world over. This success is attributed to their selfless and creative giving. Today at our stations that are around the room, you have an opportunity to do several things. One of them, inspired by these women in India, is to take a scoop of rice and make it your prayer as you do this. Lord, I'm not waiting until I win the lottery to be generous, but God, use what I have now, and I want to be generous with that as a response to your generosity. And so in a sense, it's just doing something physical to remind yourself and to pray through what you want to do spiritually. And so take a scoop of rice and pour it into these glass cylinders at the stations. Make it that your prayer. Also at the stations, there's an opportunity to give of your tithe. And there's a place to take communion, taking the bread and the cup, remembering that if you are a Christian, that this represents what Jesus has done for you. So let's respond in those ways and also through worship, through music. Let's pray and then respond. Father, thank you for your incredible, lavish generosity on each of us. None of us stand here, sit here today and deserve what you've done. You've given over and over to us. And we just want to acknowledge that and just say thank you. And God, may one of our responses be is to be generous in the places you're calling us to be generous in. God, use our money to further your kingdom, to build things that don't just build bigger barns, but invest in the kingdom of God. And so this is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.